Have you ever wondered why anyone drinks Malort? Or if there are actually lobsters in the Chicago River? Then listen to the Curious City podcast, where we answer all your questions about Chicago and the region. WBEZ's Curious City is part of the NPR network and available wherever you find your podcasts. It was a big week in the fight against COVID. The U.S. is now averaging 2 million doses per day. Mass vaccination sites are opening across the country, and the single-shot Johnson & Johnson vaccine is getting into more and more arms. Here in Illinois, with the help of the federal government, a mass vac site is getting ready to open at the United Center next week. Meanwhile, earlier this week, Chicago saw its lowest seven-day test positivity rate since the pandemic began. Joining us now to discuss those stories and the latest on COVID-19 in our region is Dr. Mia Teramina, infectious disease specialist with the DuPage Medical Group. Hi, Dr. Teramina. Hey, Tasha. Dr. Teramina answers your questions about COVID-19 every Friday here on Reset. Doctor, it's been about a month since all regions of Illinois moved to phase four. And uh, I'm wondering how the state's doing now in terms of COVID-19 metrics and whether we're seeing a downward trend. You know, so far so good. Um, you know, before we we uh, have to backpedal, we first look for any sort of um, lack of progression. So we've seen these downward trends. We've sustained uh, a statewide positivity rate under 3% for several weeks now, and that's very encouraging. But we, we have to be mindful of plateaus and be mindful of any upticks that we need to keep an eye on. So far, so good. Um, I, I still think that we are a little bit too soon to be opening doors wide open and full capacity everywhere all the time and taking masks off. I think we're mm-hmm. uh, not, not near where we should be making those recommendations. But cautiously, as more people are becoming vaccinated, um, as, as restaurants are opening, uh, patronizing some of these restaurants, especially if you're otherwise healthy and are vaccinated, and certainly uh, being compliant with mask wearing and social distancing uh, when you're not actively eating and drinking is, is becoming more and more reasonable with each passing uh, week here. One in six Illinoisans have received their first dose of the vaccine, at least. Um, the governor says the state expects uh, to receive 100,000 doses uh, per day by mid-March. How do you feel about that progress? Um, we are waiting with bated breath. Uh, if that's truly what is happening and it has been secured and, and confirmed by, um, you know, federally that we are going to be getting 100,000 doses a day starting mid-March, um, we're waiting for this waterfall. The infrastructure is in place. DuPage County, uh, where I, I work most of my time has unfortunately been a really sort of a barren desert of getting a robust number of first doses of vaccine. Uh, other areas have received more, uh, and I'm very excited about these mass vaccination sites, but to the extent that uh, if hundreds of thousands of doses are going to become available, if we can get tens of thousands of doses in DuPage County, I'm very optimistic that you know these uh, suburban areas are, are going to uh, ramp up very, very quickly, and the intensity with which people have to search for vaccines uh, is going to be um, a lot easier uh, as the weeks go on here. I, I cannot wait. I, I wish it would be tomorrow that we would get these doses. Yeah, well, let's talk a bit more. The the United Center mass vaccination site, how significant is that? This is, these, are, these are the game changers. These are what's going to get people vaccinated uh, very quickly and um, a significant number of people vaccinated all over the state and all over the country with similar mass-scaled vaccine sites. Currently, the United Center is going to be uh, doing the Pfizer vaccine. Mm-hmm. Um, the uh, center that was set up in Des Plaines is doing the J&J vaccine. I think the J&J vaccine is going to be used more frequently as time goes on in these mass sites so that it's a single appointment only. And 
the faster we can get vaccines in arms, going from a million to two million doses in a day nationwide, I think there's stretch and room to get closer to even three million doses a day pending supplies and these partnerships that Johnson & Johnson and Merck have announced this week. We're going to see a lot of good things coming in the coming weeks if we can just hold on a little bit longer here. Yeah. The uh, United Center Mass vaccin- Vaccination Site will provide 6,000 doses a day in addition to the doses that the city and state are already receiving. Switching gears here to talk about the restaurant industry Dr. Taramina, bars and restaurants here can now increase their capacity to 50% or 50 people. What do you think about that? I think, again, for, for folks that are otherwise healthy um, and potentially uh, fully vaccinated, uh, I, patronizing some of these uh, struggling businesses and restaurants is, is going to be high on everyone's list, uh, as well as, you know, COVID fatigue, just people wanting to get out more cautiously if you are not otherwise ill or immunocompromised, uh, potentially if you're fully vaccinated uh, and wearing your mask responsibly when not eating or drinking. I think that indoor dining is becoming something that we can slowly start to do again. I personally think, and we can't necessarily turn back the clock on this one, we really miss the boat, not only in Illinois, but nationwide on not prioritizing restaurant workers for vaccine. Um, I will be far more encouraged when we get into category 1C, which if these vaccines are coming with the allotments that are promised to us, potentially by April, we should get our vaccine uh, vaccines into our restaurant workers. And then I think that we're going to see a, a changing of the tides in terms of capacities in restaurants and, and all of those feeling uh, more safe when patronizing these uh, these facilities. Well, mask mandates have been lifted in several states. I, for one, doctor, was, was shocked uh, at the, the, the lifting, especially in Texas. What's your reaction to those changes? You know, I, I, I never want to make this this pandemic political, but there there certainly is a political component here. Um, there is a lot of angst in our country about getting these struggling businesses and the struggling economy back on its feet, and and that is accomplished uh, superficially by opening everything back up. Mm-hmm. But in my opinion, it's too soon. Uh, I think we're not there yet. We need to drive herd immunity a little further down the road. We're so close. There is a light at the end of the tunnel, and we are going to get more vaccines in arms. We are going to, you know, meet and exceed that 100 million doses in the first 100 days of this new administration. And I think if we can get to the point where we have every adult uh, having access to the vaccine, which is promised by the end of May to have access, we still have to get them in arms. um, You know, we could be looking at a very favorable summer experience across the country. So these, these states jumping the gun on that could potentially single-handedly create big problems for the rest of our country and shoot themselves in the foot with what they're trying to do. Um, I hope not. I hope I'm wrong. I hope that we uh, are, are able to get this vaccine in fast enough to beat out the pace of uh, spreading variants uh, and to be able to uh, safely reopen um, you know, as quickly as possible. You're listening to Reset, and we are talking with Dr. Taramina, infectious disease specialist from the DuPage Medical Group. And we're talking about the latest COVID-19 updates in our region. Now, she is also here to answer your COVID-19 questions like she does every Friday. Doctor, let's jump to the phones. We've got Diane waiting in Northbrook. Hi, Diane. What's your question? Um, I want to know whether or not it would be safe um, to have another vaccinated couple in my home. My husband and I are also vaccinated, so there would be four of us. Um, If this other couple eats indoors in restaurants. 
That, that's a very good question, Diane. So as time is going on, we are seeing more and more evidence, slowly but surely, that fully vaccinated people, which means you've had both doses of a messenger RNA vaccine or a single dose of Johnson & Johnson plus two weeks. If you're fully vaccinated and those you're interacting with are fully vaccinated, the risk of spreading virus is going to be exceptionally low. Now, if these folks are frequenting restaurants and are traveling and exposing themselves to large crowds, there is a very, very small chance, but a chance that there could be some variant uh, that they could have been exposed to and carried. Um, again, I think that the risk is relatively low, especially if you all are otherwise healthy. And sooner or later, we're going to be getting to the point where it, congregating in groups of vaccinated individuals is going to be safer. So I think that um, uh, the risk is low. Uh, use your discretion and hopefully we can start enjoying uh, some time with our, our extended friends and family soon. Thanks for calling, Diane. Let's hear now from Daryl in Aurora. Hey, Daryl, what's your question for the doctor? Uh, yeah, hi. I was just wondering uh, if you could speak to some of the dangers of, you know, people that are trying to entrust, like, alternative medicines to treat or prevent COVID. Um, just for, you know, a brief instance, like, my stepdad drinks, like, a citric acid saltwater mix that he believes will, you know, defeat any virus that enters your body, and so the vaccine's unnecessary and things like that. That, that's, a, that's a great commentary. We do know that there are some uh, pretty pretty interesting studies out there regarding certain supplements, um, vitamin C, vitamin D, uh, using iron, using um, other things that are available over the counter to try to uh, dampen the inflammatory effects and the pro-inflammatory effects of this virus. So um, there is data to suggest some of this stuff uh, can be absolutely beneficial, both prophylactically to prevent COVID and if you have a mild case of COVID to try and, uh, you know, keep your, your immune system uh, tuned up so you don't develop a severe uh, course. That being said, none of this should be a substitute to the available treatments if someone is ill and uh, requires intervention or uh, a substitute to vaccination. Uh, that is where the evidence lies. That is where uh, we are going to succeed with this virus. And uh, it would be um, a misstep to regard anything other than uh, what we have available uh, for emergency use authorization and what is backed by science uh, to truly be um, uh, strategies for the management of this virus moving forward. Doctor, let's talk about the vaccine a bit more. Uh, the CDC says the Johnson & Johnson vaccine is okay for people who have had allergic reactions to Pfizer and Moderna's. Can you tell us more about that? So it very severe adverse reactions are, are really rare. Um, we believe that to the messenger RNA vaccine, those who have a severe adverse response are likely reacting to a component in the vaccine called polyethylene glycol or PEG. Most people who have PEG allergies are well aware of them and Johnson & Johnson would be a great vaccine for those individuals. For others who don't have any history of allergic reactions to vaccine but may have had a very severe adverse response to the first messenger RNA vaccine, be it Pfizer or Moderna. First and foremost, I, I uh, would strongly consider evaluation by allergy and immunology to weigh in as well. But for these individuals where it ultimately is deemed uh, too risky to give that second dose of vaccine, uh, it is in these extenuating circumstances okay 28 days later to give a single dose of the Johnson & Johnson vaccine. Two weeks later, this patient will be regarded as fully vaccinated. But again, it's not because of the prime boost that typically happens with uh, two MRI RNA doses, it's because the single dose Johnson & Johnson vaccine is sufficient in rendering immunity. So it is a tool that we will anticipate using for the very few individuals that have severe adverse reactions to the first dose. 
A study came out on Sunday that uh, identified seven COVID-19 variants spotted across the country with the same mutation. Should we be concerned? You know, this is why we we look and sample um, different variants and different strains of this virus and try and map out exactly what is happening. When we identify a weak point, we identify something that we're seeing over and over again in viruses that are in states far, far apart and in individuals that have no relationship with one another or travel or anything else. It, it's kind of is exposing points on this 30,000 uh, base pair genome that makes up our COVID virus where the weakness lies is where these mutations keep tending to show themselves over and over again. Mm. My greater concern is the fact that we are seeing areas in this country with a 1% to 2% uh, incidence of uh, the variant strains going to 10 to 20%, and the doubling time is looking like about 7 to 10 days. So another 10 days from now, we could see pockets in this country where, especially the UK variant, maybe 40 to 50% of all of the tests that are coming through. This is where things are worrisome. Mm-hmm. So I'm, I'm more concerned about the trends toward these viruses becoming the dominant strains in the community, which will have And that's why we need to outpace it with our vaccine. Michael in Lake County has a question about reactions to the second dose. Hi, Michael. Go ahead with your question. My two years old, my second dose, and I had some pretty bad side effects. And my parents are getting their, their second dose today. And I'm just wondering what to expect when they come home. Sure. You know, every single patient is different. There's no rhyme or reason in in many cases where individuals that are otherwise healthy may have a a more severe set of side effects and and other individuals that you would think, oh, they've had COVID before or they have these other uh, complicating issues. They're going to be hit pretty hard with this um, and they've tended towards having a very benign course. For the most part, even the most uncomfortable side effects, which could be a high fever, chills, body aches that could last for several hours or, or perhaps a day or so, generally what happens is they are over fairly quickly too. It is okay to take medications if needed, if you, uh, if your parents are incredibly uncomfortable and, and would need some Tylenol and ibuprofen, but no need uh, to take those medications until and unless uh, some uh, secondary vaccine side effects occur. For the most part, they should be fully uh, recovered from these side effects in a day or two, and, and hopefully all will go well for them. Thanks, Michael. That's Dr. Mia Teramina, infectious disease specialist from the DuPage Medical Group. Let's jump to another caller. Hi, um, this is Barbara Benton. I'm actually a physician in Naperville, and I have a couple questions. The one that I thought was most important was I've had a couple patients come in uh, that have been told by their local pharmacies that they need a physician prescription to get a vaccination, like at a Meyer or something like that. Uh, I hadn't heard of that. <laughs> I was just wondering, is that what the pharmacies are being told? So, Barbara, the um, commercial pharmacies out in the suburbs and, you know, in the in the collar counties especially, what they're looking for is documentation uh, pertaining to individuals uh, that have health um, uh criteria to meet for for vaccination that are between the ages of 16 and 64. So essentially that expanded 1B class. Uh, They may have underlying heart disease or they may have, um, you know, something that is not necessarily seen like pregnancy or in some cases obesity and things like that. So if you have a patient that qualifies under the expanded 1B, uh, it doesn't need to be a prescription, but providing on letterhead some documentation of underlying health conditions uh, that warrant a dose when they are between the ages of 
16 and uh, 64, that is usually what the pharmacies are seeking. Otherwise, if you uh, are category 1A or a healthcare provider and can provide a badge or pay stub or other documentation, or if you're over 65 on your ID, that should suffice as well. Barbara, you had another question? Late, these, well, and these were people that were in their late 70s, so that's why I was kind of curious. My other question was um, just that I guess the education, I just haven't seen the education. Uh, people don't know even how to get it. I have people that are coming into my office saying, well, I just thought somebody would call me, like my doctor's office would call me. So they're still not really getting the message yet. In fact, I applied, uh, I work in DuPage County, but I live in Will County, never even got a call back or an email back from DuPage, but yet, you know, was able to get vaccinated in Will County. So I just think we're still needing to do a lot more work to get the word out. I mean, I'm preaching it here, good. but... Uh, yeah, that's good to hear. To but it, it's, it's disheartening to hear that, you know, folks aren't hearing about it. Dr. Tamina? It's been challenging for sure. Uh, and again, I live in DuPage County. I work in DuPage County. DuPage County has felt like an island at, at many times with the um, lack of uh, regular supplies of vaccines. Um, individuals feel very frustrated with uh, the processes here. I'm optimistic in the weeks to come, there will be supplies of vaccines more easily accessible. Uh, for you know, those who have been uh, more savvy, uh, a wealth of information on certain Facebook sites like uh, Chicago Vaccine Hunters and ZocDoc and other locations have really provided uh, some steps in the right direction. Uh, but it's it's frustrating because there does need to be legwork in many cases on the part of the individual uh, and not simply um, being notified by their health care provider or by the county if they have registered or believe they've registered. And, and all of that lack of transparency, again, has been frustrating. I'm optimistic uh, that vaccine will be more easily accessible in the weeks to come where uh, appointments will not be something that you need to set your clock in the middle of the night for in order to register. Um, we're getting there. Uh, hopefully we can cross this finish line together and, and all get vaccinated as soon as possible. Yeah, hopefully. Uh, let's jump to another phone call here. Kelly's waiting in Barrington Hills. Hi, Kelly. What's your question for the doctor? Hi, thank you. Um, I'm a registered nurse retired with an active license, and I've been hoping to volunteer to administer vaccinations uh, because I understand there's a shortage of medical professionals to do so. I feel like I've completely exhausted every site or avenue for uh, registering for this. Uh, online, I contacted my doctor, other colleagues that are still actively nursing, uh, Cook County uh, Health Department, Illinois uh, Department of Health. If you could give me a suggestion, I'd sure appreciate it. You know, I wish I had some suggestions off the top of my head. I know that um, there uh, may be some capacity within my own organization for individuals to assist with uh, vaccination, especially as we get more supplies and are able to expand our sites. Um, you know, you have to uh, contact, um, you know, uh, the general DuPage Medical Group, uh, number one eight 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 my dr and get some direction as to uh, who to speak with or contact regarding uh, this. There's sometimes a couple of steps that need to occur in terms of, you know, uh, liability and stuff like that. So I think that's why it's a little bit frustrating. Uh, for the most part, I think that there are a, a lot of sites that actually have uh, 
a number of volunteers ready to go. We just need the vaccine. So uh, if I if I hear of anything else, hopefully we can get that information to you. But try to reach out to my organization because I think we might be able to point you in the right direction as well. Can you give that number once again, uh, slowing, slowly? Sure. 1-888-MY-DMG-DR. Thank you. Let's hear now from Ebony in Wicker Park. Yeah, my question is that both my mother and an in-home child care provider are immunized, but myself and my three-year-old daughter are not immunized. What is the risk of them now coming into our house to take care of us, and what kind of precautions do we need to still have with part of the household immunized and the other part of the household not? Sure, and this is happening uh, in many, many different types of configurations where uh, maybe two members of a household are essential workers and two are not, or maybe, you know, we have two vulnerable uh, medical, uh, medically vulnerable individuals that have already been vaccinated and the rest of the household has not. For those who have been vaccinated and are two weeks after vaccine, the chances of them getting COVID are very, very low, and the chances of them getting severe COVID are almost none. So that's what we know about the efficacy of these vaccines. So the greater risk is going to be the possibility of them unwittingly having a tiny amount of detectable virus or one of these variants and exposing you. So I would still recommend mask wearing on all parts, especially when you have mixed company where some individuals are vaccinated and some individuals are not uh, until and unless uh, all the adults can get vaccinated. And the hope is that we will be able to have enough herd immunity in our communities to protect our kids until they're able to get vaccinated, which could be well into the fall for our older kids and potentially towards the end of the year and into 2022 for our littlest kids. So I think that when you have mixed company, a mask wearing and social distancing is still going to be the recommendation. Let's jump to another caller. Will is on from Hyde Park. Hi, Will. What's your question? Hey, how you? Well, I am vaccinated. I'm over 65. My wife is a teacher and she'll receive her second vaccination on Tuesday. But we have young kids. Well, not that young, age 21, age 17 and age 11. And I'm just wondering how soon can we be one big, happy, vaccinated family, you think? It's, it's going to be a Good minute, question, especially <laughs> if you if you want to get uh, Mr. 11-year-old or Miss 11-year-old uh, uh, vaccinated as well. For uh, 21 and 17, we obviously do have vaccines that are indicated in that age group, but it's going to be to the point where we get to the general population if they are otherwise healthy. So beyond 1C into that phase two, which I anticipate should be we will have enough vaccine for those two folks by the end of may per uh the government's uh, statements that they've made this week um it, the matter becomes when can we get the vaccines in their arms and i think that by the summer there's a very good chance that older teens are going to be able to be vaccinated i anticipate 12 to 16 year old results will be out in the coming months and we may be able to get 12 to 16 year olds vaccinated my goal i would love to see it before fall of 2021 so we can get everyone back in school as safely as possible. And the littlest kids, uh, ages six months and up, are just entering vaccine trials now. So it's going to be a while longer before we get indications uh, to vaccinate the littlest ones. So uh, if your 11-year-old is going to be 12 soon, uh, we might be able to look towards an entire fully vaccinated family by fall of 2021. And that's just uh, with the information I have at this moment. Of course, that can change. Yeah. And with a 12 and 14 year old at home, I was writing all of that down too, doctor. Um, Very good. But speaking of kids, I, I want to talk about schools for a moment because Chicago Public Schools welcomed back tens of thousands of elementary students to the classroom. Uh, sixth, seventh and eighth graders are expected to return next week. 
you've been arguing for months that school, you know, done properly is safe. It is. And, and these kids need to get back in, in school. So the priority needs to continue to be doing whatever we can uh, and reimagining whatever we can in order to get as many kids back as much time as, as they can in the remaining uh, months of the school year, this academic year. And then the absolute focus needs to be on whatever we can do to be full time in person as normal of a day as possible in the fall of 2021. So using the mitigation strategies, social distancing, hand washing and mask wearing is going to be key. And I think as time rolls on and we get more and more data that that continues to show that schools are not major super spreader sites, we can hopefully reimagine uh, some of these quarantine restrictions. Because my biggest concern right now is as we get more bodies in the building, even though I believe the risk is very low when everybody is masked, we still have that possibility of sidelining individuals for 10 to 14 days uh, with potential exposures that are actually relatively low risk. We just don't have the national and statewide guidelines saying that we can relax those quarantine strategies. So I'm looking for that as time moves forward here as it's going to be what keeps someone in school. Otherwise, we have individuals that are deciding between full virtual and full in-person when certain hybrid models go away because they're afraid being in person is going to knock them out for 14 days if they have a lower risk but technically you know exposure uh, and being sidelined for 14 days from not only school but sports and other things that are very important to these kids it's a difficult choice and we need to continue to have conversations about this so we can make this better for our children let's hear now from alan in midway hi alan what's your question for the doctor hi um i just have a, a question about um play dates you know you just said that schools are safe and would it be okay like we want to hang out with a couple fully vaccinated as well and they wear masks we don't go to restaurants um, but they have kids that are a kid that's two and four like our kids and i'm wondering what your thoughts are on that is that safe is it not safe should we still hold off so I think for the most part, it depends on what the kids are doing. If this is a family that has been hunkered down in their own house and they're not eating at restaurants, they're not traveling, the kids are not going to daycare and having higher risk exposures, and the adults are vaccinated, that's going to be a much lower risk scenario. I would encourage if that exact question comes up frequently over the next few weeks, um, it's getting warmer outside. Let's get these kids outside. Let's run around and play. Um, you know, Being outside and, and able to socially distance and being in that greater volume of air is going to dispel any um, possible carriage of uh, of the coronavirus that's you know being coughed or sneezed out and hopefully will be a much less risk scenario so um, cautiously in, in a group that has been uh, very much uh, adhering to all the guidelines it's it's probably safe but the most safe is still going to be getting outdoors with these kids one more question on schools, Doctor. The, the Times, the New York Times found that, that more than 120,000 cases have been linked to colleges and universities since the beginning of this year. More than half a million cases have been reported since the beginning of the pandemic. So how are our state colleges and universities managing this? You know, we're, we're doing pretty good. I, I am a fan of the end of this pandemic coming in the face of more testing and more vaccine. And some of the strategies used by area colleges and some of the area public schools to do saliva-based testing or random screening of students, um, you know, on a weekly manner is identifying not a lot of students, uh, but the ones it does identify, they're able to confirm, isolate, and, and you know, mitigate those individuals before we have a spread 
spread of the virus. And as we have these, you know, variants coming up in our communities, you know, a, a close congregate living setting like college dormitories, things could spread very, very quickly. I think for the most part, yes, has there been a lot of cases in colleges? Uh, there have, but fortunately, um, the uh, severity of disease has been uh, generally mild. Certainly, we hear about some very unfortunate cases. And I also think it's a bit of a miss that we didn't prioritize uh, college kids in congregate living as, as being high priority for vaccine as well mm -hmm. in one of these early tiers. My hope is that uh, they will all be able to get vaccinated this summer and we will be in a much better place in colleges across the board again by fall of 2021. Let's hear now from Gus in Evanston. Hi, Gus. What's your question? Hi. I'm calling because, uh, so I've been back, I've had COVID, and uh, I also know I've had the antibodies, um, uh, but oh, do I need a vaccine? I know I'm like 272 million in line. I'm really low priority. But I have all sorts of friends and family jumping at chances to get this vaccine. Uh, I don't feel like I need it. I, I'm like, do we know the efficacy and necessary means for us people who have had the virus to, to have it again, uh, to, to need that vaccine? So yes, uh, Gus, present guidance is for everybody to get vaccinated, including those who have had coronavirus before. If you had COVID and you have antibodies, in all probability you do have antibodies and you have yours documented, which is even more beneficial, um, you can wait up to 90 days uh, from the time of your original coronavirus, uh, and that's a reliable period of immunity before being at risk for re-exposure, uh, truthfully. Now, yes, those antibodies may last a little bit longer than that, but you know, if it's been more than 90 days, we have to consider you as being potentially susceptible. The antibodies generated by the vaccines are sometimes up to 10 times more than what's generated from the actual viral illness itself. So it is very important. Presently in our country, uh, you still will have a standard vaccine course, meaning two doses of the messenger RNA vaccines or a single dose of Johnson & Johnson. That guideline may change. You may only need a single booster. It's being researched in other countries. It's being tried in other countries. But currently, two doses are recommended. You can wait till closer to the end of your 90-day immunity window after being infected. But please get your vaccine when it's your turn. That's Dr. Mia Teramina, infectious disease specialist from the DuPage Medical Group. Dr. Teramina, we are so grateful to you for this really important public service. Enjoy your weekend. Pleasure's mine. Thank you. Thanks for listening. I'm Sasha Ann Simons. We've got more for you on the podcast, WBEZ's Reset, wherever you listen. Do you need a break from the news? Well, my friend, Nerdette Podcast is here for you. Our show is all about delight. We laugh about what's happening in pop culture and feature thoughtful interviews with fascinating people. We even have a monthly book club that you can participate in. I could just go on and on about it. I loved this book. It was an experience, I'll tell you that. <laughs> I discovered authors I had never heard of and I'm really happy that I did. Come hang out with us. Listen to Nerdette wherever you get your podcasts.